ghosts, cryptids, murder, conspiracies, beer, what, the, ale. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of What the Ale. I'm Alana. And I'm Mama J. And we are going to be discussing a hot new topic today. Um, Before we begin, though, Mom, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite beer? My favorite beer? Um, You know, I think I have two favorites, and one is actually from Utah, and it's a polygamy porter from Wasatch Brewery, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't get it here. They won't ship it to California. Darn. Uh, So I can only get that when I'm in, like, Park City, Utah. And um, and then there is a, a brewery that ships beer around here, and it's called The Brewery. <laughs> and I love everything that they make. Um, and my office mate and friend is a member, and so I often share beers with him. Um, and, yeah, they're all delicious. They're all stouts and porters and all kinds of caramely, chocolatey, coffee deliciousness. So, yeah, those are two of my very favorites. Yeah, so she likes the sweet beer. I tend to go more for an IPA. Um, my, I would say my favorite, I, I've, I'll, I'll say a couple. I think my, one of my favorites when I was living in Boston was the Orange Line, which was from Turtle Swamp Brewing. I just liked the name personally. Okay. It's a cute name. <laughs> but I also, but I also really did like the beer. Um, and Turtle Swamp is cool because they would have like live music sometimes and they were really cool. Um, and then I think one of my favorites around here would probably have to be what the haze from device oh that's okay i love that beer i know you like that (laughs) oh it's so good i could drink it all the time if you have access to a device brewing anywhere near you get that beer if you like a hazy ipa um but yeah i think those are probably two of my favorites i think my Favorite when I'm, like, going into a 7-Eleven or something and just needing, like, a classic is definitely a Modelo Negra. Yeah. You got me turned on to that. Yeah, those are great. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, cool. Good icebreaker, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, today we are not having a pint. We are actually having pints of coffee because it's a little bit early, it's a little bit early for a beer. <laughs> We're starting early today, y'all. <laughs> um, but, Okay. I am going to be telling a story today, and it is probably one of my favorite unsolved mysteries of all time because it is just so bizarre and wild and twists and turns that no one ever thought were coming. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do not. Oh, mom. You know what D.B. Cooper is, though, right? Oh, I do. All right. All right. But I'm sure I don't know it as well as you. (laughs) (laughs) It's fascinating. Um... Before we begin, I want I want to say there are thousands of theories and suspects. It has been over 50 years since the hijacking. I am going to do my absolute best to cover some of the most convincing suspects, but I am going to say now that like I know or I'm barely scratching the surface here. Okay. <laughs> um because there's there's a lot and there are some suspects where there's maybe like one bullet under them and you're like, "What?" Why, why did they do this? Well, but if they couldn't be excluded completely, I'm sure they're still on a list somewhere. Well, and that's the thing. There's only one guy in here that actually has not been excluded by the FBI. Oh, okay. Everyone else has. Oh, okay. 
but that doesn't mean anything, <laughs> according to the story. So, um, yeah, like I mentioned, this is one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in the U.S., and millions of people still research it today. Um, there are also thousands and thousands of suspects and theories. The FBI still, technically, while this case is closed, still are accepting tips about it. I think everyone just kind of wants this one solved. I think it's fascinating. So, to get us started, on November 24th, 1971, a man hijacked flight 325, which happened to be a Boeing 727 plane flying from Portland to Seattle. And at the ticket counter, he specifically was like, I just want to confirm this is going to be a 727. And they were like, oh yeah, it looks like it will be. Um, And that's going to be important later. Okay. So the man identified himself as Dan Cooper. His ticket was $20.00. Imagine that would be nice. <laughs> um, and it was only a 37 minute flight, which turned into much longer. <laughs> um, so a few minutes into the flight, um, he first kind of interacts with Florence Palillo, who was a stewardess. If I said her last name wrong, I feel horrible. Um, and she kind of ignored it initially. I think, like in the 70s, you gotta imagine you're a stewardess, you're dressed very nicely. And she was used to, like, men just hitting on her all the time. And she was kind of like, well, I'll just look at this later. Like, it's probably just a phone number. Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 wait. You need to read that note. I have a bomb. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not even trying to play it off so long. Right? (laughs) So then she opens the note and it says, quote, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase. I want you to sit with me. And... It doesn't make me want to sit with him, but, No, I wouldn't want to sit with a man. I'd want to be as far away as possible. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, because then he opened his suitcase, or briefcase, and she saw sticks of dynamite wrapped with tape and wire and stuff. And so she was like, oh, crap, he actually does have a bomb. So she sat with him out of fear, which, like, she's a rock star. I don't know if I would be brave enough to do that. And he asks for $200 in American currency and four parachutes. And what year is this? 1971. So, and that's the thing too, because like he's asking for four parachutes. So he kind of was trying to throw them off with the like, I'm going to take hostages. (laughs) I don't know if that was. But only $200? 200,000. Oh, $200,000. Okay. Not to, that would be sad. I was like, that's not much to ask for. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. So he asked for two, like, two front parachutes, two back parachutes, and he wanted all of the money to be in exclusively $20 bills. He only wanted small bills, which is fair. I think it's, it's easier to spend. I was yeah. going to say, it's hard to break 100 nowadays. Half the time, they're like, I don't have change for that. And it's like, my friend. <laughs> or they just don't accept it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I can understand why you don't want 20s. But, yeah, so he wanted two front parachutes, two back parachutes, And a lot of people were thinking, okay, he's going to take hostages. Like, we need to, like, handle this matter super sensitively. And so he didn't want the plane to land until all of his requests were physically at the airport. So this 37-minute flight actually turned into, like, a three-hour flight. Okay. Because they were just flying over the Seattle airport waiting for the stuff to get there. And um, 
you know, the people on the plane were like, oh, well, it's raining outside, like, whatever. Like, they truly were oblivious until the plane landed, which I think is really interesting. Okay. Um, and it was storming. Uh, it was starting to storm by the time they landed. And so at this point, it's already kind of dangerous to fly, I think. Oh, and I want to say this is the day before Thanksgiving. So everyone's just trying to get home to have yeah. some turkey. I mean, it's I feel bad for the people. So they landed back in Seattle? So they took off from Portland. So they, oh, they made it to Portland. Seattle. Okay. But he wanted all of his demands to be at the Seattle airport. Um, and then when the plane landed, he asked for the shades to be pulled. And he requested that the flight crew stay on the plane. Um, they actually sent out Tina, who was the other flight attendant. And Tina went and got all of the stuff, the money, everything. Brought it on the plane. And then... He was like, you know, whatever. And the thing with the flight crew staying is that um, he only needed one flight attendant, and he said that. And so one of the flight attendants got to leave. So Florence left the plane, and Tina was the one that was stuck on the plane. I'd be pretty mad, though, if, like, my my co-stewardess was like, deuces. I'd be like, excuse. (laughs) And actually, in Unsolved Mysteries, it's funny because they interview the girl that, like, left the plane. And she's like like I just knew it was my chance I had to get off that plane I didn't want to blow up and I was like you know (laughs) fair and validly like you know um uh survival of the fittest I guess that's horrible but you know what I mean like she was just like I'm I'm getting out I don't care um and so the crazy thing was was because this was being treated so sensitively obviously they landed far enough away from the airport that if it was a bomb like it wouldn't hit the airport so okay. the passengers actually had to take a bus back to the terminal and okay. they didn't really know until like i said they were at the terminal what happened like people were like oh there was engine trouble or oh there was this and then they're like no there's literally a bomb on the plane wow and um well and how would you feel like hearing that you know you didn't know that. i mean i guess i would be maybe glad that i didn't know that whole time but yeah yeah but then when you find out that's what it was and you were just kept in the dark i don't know i'd feel a little weird about that too <laughs> i think i'd feel weird on both ends i yeah. think i would be really interested and that's the funny thing because one of the witnesses to the db cooper hijacking he's he now goes to like the db cooper cons and everything that mm-hmm. they have now which we'll get into later but okay. like he literally sat across from the hijacker and was like yeah i didn't really know what was going on i knew something was happening but he was like i didn't know well maybe ignorance is bliss in that scenario yeah i think i'd rather like not because then if you know the bombs on the plane you're gonna have to deal with panic and i you know so maybe it was handled well but yeah super interesting so passengers are in the terminal safe and sound hopefully they have a good thanksgiving aside from having to talk to the fbi but then Cooper was like, all right, the items are on board. I want you to fly to Mexico City. But his request was, we have to fly at 10,000 feet and at 200 miles an hour, which okay. means that they would be using up so much fuel, they would actually have to stop and refuel. Okay. Um, and What's they, normal? Is 10,000 feet low or higher? I mean, I know nowadays you normally fly around like 30,000. That's what I thought. Okay. So I think it is low, and I think that just makes your travel time longer because you're not following... I'm not a pilot. I don't know. I figured there's like wind <laughs> patterns. I don't know. But, okay, so they're flying low. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, long. that's a long distance. Yeah. Okay. And I do want to say when I went skydiving, we only went to 13,000 feet. So if he is planning to jump out of the plane, 10,000 makes sense. Oh, yeah, so jumping makes sense, yeah. So 
logically yes but also the idea they're flying through a storm so that would ob- obviously affect fuel because wind and everything so so but they didn't know he was jumping they're just like man you're crazy we're not gonna make it all the way to mexico city on that gas well i mean they probably figured because he had asked for four parachutes okay but i think they were like well he asked for four parachutes but like we don't know where he's going to jump okay. and like we're not going to make it all the way there without stopping so they agreed to refuel in reno and he okay. actually was like okay that's fine okay Good for him. <laughs> um, and so he wanted, when they took off, he wanted the back stairs. So the Boeing 727, which I'll have to like post a picture of or something to have it make sense, but it had a stairwell at the back of the flight where like passengers can go up and down. Mm-hmm. And um, he wanted to take off with the stairwell down. And the pilot absolutely refused. He was like, no, fuck that. Like, he's like, I'm not taking off like unless it's up he's like that's not safe like the plane something could happen to it we could all die like just logically and that makes like if you have stairs dragging yeah while you're trying to take off a plane that sounds like a bad idea yeah i was gonna say that could even like spark fire or something i don't know that just seems like dumb yeah so anyway he kind of like angrily agreed to that um and he was basically like, all right, let's take off. And then they took off and he was like, told the flight attendant who at this point I believe was Tina because Florence left. So then he was like, all right, Tina, close the curtain, leave me alone. And while she was leaving, she kind of, and to turn to close the curtain, you know, she saw that he had um, put like a, he was tying something to his body mm. um, with rope, which they didn't just, rope in his original sort of request request so huh. I'm wondering if he like had it stuck it down them. his pants yeah. or I don't you know I don't know um <laughs> but then there was a few minutes later there was a change in pressure and D.B. Cooper was gone okay so so was he just putting on the parachutes or was he tying the like money and all that to his body or my thought is he was tying the money because he okay. wanted the money in a knapsack, so oh, okay. maybe he was tying it to make sure it was secure. Yeah. Um, because that would suck if you, like, jumped out of the plane and the money blew yeah. out of your hand. Yeah, that'd be bad. Um, so I think that's probably what it was. Um, and, yeah, so where he jumped we know is somewhere between Seattle and Reno. They hadn't made it to Reno yet. Okay. And... They believe it was toward the southern southern tip of Washington, about 20 miles from Portland, okay. Oregon. Um, and because it was, like I said, it was so quick, like, they basically took off, and then he was like, go up there, and then he jumped out. Okay. So my wondering is, is, like, he must have had a plan. Like, he must have known, I need to jump within, like, the first 20 minutes. And that's probably why he wasn't so bothered that they were like, we have to stop in Reno. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to throw everyone off. Yeah. Um, and so when he left and they inspected the plane, they actually like fully like FBI deep dived on this plane, right? Okay. There were no fingerprints, which is interesting because he was all over the place. But all that was really left was cigarette butts, a tie, like a clip on tie Mm -hmm. and a mother of pearl tie pin. Well, that, at least he's got good taste. I love some mother of pearl. It's it's a beautiful (laughs) embellishment. Absolutely. Um, but it's funny, like, though, with the technology being what it was then, you know, yeah, I mean, some cigarette butts nowadays, we'd be, like, all over that DNA-wise. 
Well, that's the thing. I mean, so this was the 70s, but they kept the cigarette butts, Oh, they did? Okay. And, like, I don't... I think the issue is, is at some point, like, the cigarette butt... Like, the cigarette butts, like, disappeared from FBI custody. And that's why there's, like, a conspiracy that someone... It's an inside job or something. Okay. But we'll get more into that later. Um, But, yeah, so, obviously, this is still unsolved. So, D.B. Cooper was never seen again. And... I know I keep saying D.B. Cooper. I understand his name was Dan Cooper and that it was a newspaper reporter who misheard and said D.B., but everyone knows that's D.B. Yeah, that's what everybody knows the story as. <laughs> um, Plus, it sounds more mysterious than Dan Cooper. Dan Cooper sounds kind of common. I know. Dan Cooper sounds like your neighbor or something. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, Mr. Cooper. He doesn't sound like this, like, heist guy. <laughs> you know, he sounds too friendly. <laughs> so... And some things to go along with, like, the disappearance. No parachute was ever found, indicating that he could have survived the jump, in my opinion. Um, Allegedly, according to some accounts, there were some, there were flares seen in the air above the Columbia River that night. So people believe maybe he was signaling where he was to an accomplice. Okay. Um, And he is still, to date, the only hijacker who has never been caught or identified So if you're planning to go in the hijacking business, just don't. You're going to get caught. You're not D.B. Cooper. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and there are guys who we'll get into later who people thought might be D.B. Cooper because they tried the exact same thing and they got caught. Yeah. So it's, this was not easy. He hit some dumb luck that he was able to get away. Yeah. Even with the 1970s technology, I think. Um, So the description given by people was that it was a white man in his mid-40s, wearing sunglasses and a business suit and a briefcase with explosive. Um, they said he had he was taller, he had dark hair, dark eyes, that his hair was slicked back, he was clean-shaven. Um, and I don't remember if you said, did anybody actually see the bomb or he just said there was a bomb? He opened his briefcase and showed the flight attendant. Okay. But again, it just looked like, I mean, the way she described it was it looked like sticks of dynamite from, like, Bugs Bunny wrapped with wire. So okay. To me, I'm like... Was it a real bomb? Was it a real bomb or was he messing with them? You know, like, we don't know. But he did say, he was basically like, I just have to connect these wires and we're all dead. Yeah. So... Well, I've got a cricket, so we can get some candles and then just, like, put some, you know, make some cricket embellishments to make it look like dynamite. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, you know. Um, Yes. Oh, and then some some interesting things with his appearance, too. So he had a black rain overcoat, brown loafers. Obviously, he had the black tie, and he had sunglasses. And the sunglasses are interesting because at the beginning of the flight, he wasn't wearing them. And then after, I think after they landed in Seattle or maybe, like, while they were doing the negotiations, he put the sunglasses on. Hmm. Which is interesting because, like, I can get that sunglasses, like, maybe make it harder to tell what your eyes look like or whatever. And I get, like, the jumping out of the plane, you'd want something over your eyes. That makes sense. But the, like, you're not going to wear the sunglasses the whole time? Yeah. That's kind of weird. Hmm. Maybe he forgot about it, and then he's like, oh, shit, i got to put my sunglasses on. Yeah. Exactly. So then they estimated he was around 5'10 to 6 feet tall. He had a lower voice, intelligent vocabulary, and no obvious accent. Hmm. That doesn't mean anything. I feel like if you're, like, a spy or something, you're taught how to disguise your voice or like I feel like I'm silly and we'll just talk in weird accents sometimes so like it's not 
unheard of that yeah. maybe he was disguising his voice or and especially if you're talking in a low voice you're trying to sound more neutral or something i don't yeah. know i don't know he was using his npr voice i think <laughs> and obviously there really wasn't strict security in airports back then even people who were on the plane were like yeah like i literally just like walk through you didn't have to open your stuff you didn't have to take your shoes off you didn't have to do anything there weren't even metal detectors you just like walked in which is crazy yeah and I'm always that really lucky person that gets randomly asked to go into a private room and be searched. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's an, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be But safe. I remember those days when there wasn't much security, you know, I yeah. mean, and you could walk your people to the gate and like, yeah, I mean, they let anybody in, you didn't have to have a ticket. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember those days. Yeah. I you wish don't. you could still walk. I wish you could still walk people to the gate, though. I do too. Because, like, as long as everyone goes through the security, yeah. like, I feel like, whatever. And like, to pay for a gate pass is so expensive. Yeah, it's like two hundred bucks. But it's like, might as well buy a ticket. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so some interesting things about Dan Cooper is that he clearly had plane experience, whatever it was, because he knew about the staircase at the back of the plane. He did not decide the route to Mexico City. That was decided by the pilot. So a lot of people are like, well, if the pilot decided the route to Mexico City, like, obviously he doesn't have an accomplice or whatever because he they wouldn't know where he would be when he jumped out. My argument with that, though, is like, I feel like there's only so many routes you could take well, and I was going to say, with air traffic control, there are probably certain paths that you have to go on for certain routes. Right. So, you know, maybe he did know, you know, or have, like, general knowledge about where that would be, and then he would use the flares to, like, mm-hmm. you know, make his person, if there was an accomplice, like, have the person, you know, but if he knew general area of where they were going to be right. flying over. I don't yeah. know, but I think, yeah, there has to be some because basic... especially if he jumped before he was, like, while he was still in the Washington, Oregon area. It's not like they would have deviated too far. Yeah. So, like, that probably, either way, would have been visible. Yeah. No matter which route they took. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe he did his research. Yeah. At point. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say, because I really do think there are probably, like, common routes between different places or, mm-hmm. you know, air traffic control drugs, some of the traffic this way and some come this way, you know. Yeah. But there, I mean, they, it has to be cool. Well, I guess he's flying low, so maybe he didn't have to worry about the coordination so much. But, I mean, there has to be some coordination that the air traffic control has a say in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's why people think maybe he worked for the airline yeah. and he worked with planes, at least, because mm-hmm. he had, like, some basic knowledge of plane technology yeah um and they also believed maybe he had military experience specifically like maybe paratroops or something like that because obviously he jumped out of the plane and the parachutes he used which i'll get more into it but like they were the he only used two of the four and the two he used were not the most effective which is why a lot of people think he was dead or he didn't make it, but then again, like, if there's no parachute found, and he did make it, hmm. you know, he must be very skilled at parachuting. Wait, they were just different kinds of parachutes? Yeah, so they gave him one parachute that was sewn shut because it was a training chute, so I think that it was, like, to train the weight or something of carrying the chute, but, okay. like, it was never meant to open. And then the other one he took was one where, like, once, like, deployed or whatever, he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to steer it so he would just land where he landed oh um 
which again is why people are like, okay, he's either skilled at parachuting or he didn't make it and we just never found the chute. Because yeah. something's weird. Again, in a, in a thunderstorm, he's yeah. doing that, you know? Um, and so, obviously, the FBI, once they were interviewing all the suspects, they interviewed the flight attendants because they wanted to get a sketch drawn of the suspect. And they were like, yeah, like, you had the most face-to-face time with him. Like, we need to figure this out. And so they made what is famously called the Bing Crosby sketch. <laughs> It's called the Bing Crosby sketch? He looks a little like Bing Crosby. Really? Does he sing? <laughs> you know. He, does he act? He didn't um, share those skills on the plane, but that would be a really great um, theory, I think, that it was actually Bing Crosby. Well, maybe, you know, he has the deep voice because he's Bing Crosby and he's yeah. doing like a... A classic a, crooner. Yeah, yeah a crooner vibe. <laughs> um, and... What a lot of people say about this sketch is that it was too basic, that the FBI had basically too many leads. Like, they were like, it looked like nobody and it looked like everybody. Like, you could, like, look at the picture and you were like, oh, yeah, that kind of looks like my Uncle Tom. Or, oh, that kind of... But, like, it was, like, such a, like, neutral face. And, like, that was the thing with, like, Ted Bundy, too, where, like, they said he had such a neutral face and that's why he could, like, change his appearance just by, like, changing his part and he looked like a different guy. Yeah. According to some people. I could still tell it's the same person. Yeah. But... You know, but you've seen his face a million times over the you know your lifetime. <laughs> That's whereas true. these people had limited time. Well, and the people on the plane, if they didn't really know anything was going on, they weren't paying attention to him. When I'm on a plane, I'm not looking at people next to me. No, and I mean, yeah. I, I was thinking about that too. Like I try to be like kind of observant, but yeah. even like sometimes like you go to the same grocery store every week and like you don't notice the people at the grocery store unless they're the person who like yeah. checks you out every time or something. Yeah, I feel like I notice people when I'm at the airport because I'm a people watcher, but once I'm in my seat, I'm, I'm doing whatever I'm doing in my seat. Yeah, I'm reading a magazine movie. or yeah. yeah, doing whatever. So yeah, I could see a lot of people on the plane wouldn't be able to describe him well. Yeah. But those the flight attendant you would think wouldn't be able to. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Because she had a lot of face to face time. But she actually so they interviewed her on Unsolved Mysteries and she said, I always thought the sketch wasn't accurate. Like, she was like, I oh, just really? felt like it didn't look right. There was something off. And so they actually did a new sketch on Unsolved Mysteries. But this was, like, I don't know, like, 10 years after the heist. Uh, and so part of my brain is, like, memory is weird. and like Yeah, memory is weird. Maybe it's not accurate. But the sketch, honestly, he... He looked similar and different, I guess, on the Unsolved Mysteries sketch. He had, like, more of a widow's peak. He had, like, very pointy features. Um, but, yeah, it still wasn't that... But it's interesting if she was, like, the really, in my mind, she was, like, the main mm-hmm. witness, you know, to being around him and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think if back then she said the sketch was off, that they would say, okay, let's keep working on it. <laughs> you or know? they could have done yeah. multiple. Like, they could have had... Yeah each flight attendant give it and have different sketches. And that's the thing, because there is the other sketch where he looks a bit more... Not to, like, be like, Bing Crosby and Cary Grant, but I think he looks a bit more like Cary Grant in the other one. Mm. And and that sketch, you know, he has a bit more defined features. Like, he has, like, wrinkles, and he has, like, whatever. Um, and the interesting thing to go along with the sketch is that a lot of people... Or witnesses kind of noted that they thought he had dyed hair hmm. and they also thought he could have been wearing makeup okay which again if you're trying to disguise yourself and you're robbing a plane like make yourself look as neutral as possible yeah. I mean I think that's kind of smart 
Um, and so getting into the evidence, like I said, they took the clip-on tie that was left on the plane and it had a small DNA sample and it had like some weird particles on it. So they found pure titanium metal, which is super rare. Most of the time, if you're working with titanium in a factory or something, it's an alloy or it's, you know, some sort of isotope where it's mixed with something else. It's not pure titanium. Is that something that would be used in a bomb or like what would be the reason why that would be present? Aha. Okay. So they also found particles of titanium that was mixed with stainless steel. Okay. And apparently these particles really are only used in aerospace world. Oh, really? Yeah. So the idea is like, okay, this person either works for an airline, he builds planes, he's a pilot, he's a NASA guy. He's well, and he did ask to make sure what kind of plane it was, so he must have known how to get out of that kind of plane. Or Yeah. Like, I think he really did his research. Like, okay. he was like, the only plane I could pull this off out of is the 727. It has to be a se- And what type of plane would fly from here to here and okay. all of that. I think he was trying to be as intentional as possible. Yeah, it sounds like it. And according to several reports... Boeing was, like, one of the only places in the entire country where they used pure titanium and not alloyed titanium. So, again... Well, and Boeing is, like, I mean, the most popular planes, right? I mean, like, any, I feel like most of the time when I've been on a plane my entire life, it was a Boeing. Most of the time, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, too, because, like, with working at Boeing, like, obviously, obviously you have knowledge of planes. And the plane itself was a Boeing, so he would know, okay, I need a Boeing 727. Yeah. So that's why it kind of paints to me that he probably had knowledge of planes in general, and I think maybe he even worked at Boeing or maybe was a pilot or something. Like, he obviously had insider knowledge that, yeah. like, other people don't have. Um, And... That's the other thing that's interesting, too. So there were, following the hijacking, there were several letters that were sent to the FBI and different media outlets. A lot of them were very, like, Jack the Ripper-esque, where they weren't real letters, which, like, why? Like, I get it. You want your 10 seconds of fame. But, like, mm-hmm. come on, dude. Like, we all want to find him, you know? Yeah. Um, and there was one that they kind of kept that had a cipher in it, which we'll get into more later um, with one of the suspects. But um, that's really the only letter that they haven't really debunked as, like, not being from D.B. Cooper. Okay. Um, also, so basically, if we want to get into, like, what D.B. Cooper would be charged with if he was caught, um, he would have been obviously charged with air piracy but the statute of limitations for that is five years oh, okay so, so we're way beyond that we're way beyond that but because he was charged with violating the hobbs act which is a fancy legislative thing i don't know all the details but basically the main thing is to prevent extortion there is no statute of limitations on that so he could be arrested oh. on like extortion charges okay i wonder if there could be like kidnapping too though because you know if he's having the plane fly around technically those people didn't consent to be you yeah know, they're like to well, be moved around and isn't kidnapping like if you move somebody from one place to another place without their consent but so, they all consented to go on the plane they cuz they, they still made it to seattle they yeah, just yeah, got yeah. to seattle 2 but hours the, late but the flying around thing you know you yeah. would think that's him moving people around without their consent now they also he didn't they didn't weren't more knowledgeable that that was happening. Yeah. But I wonder if they could add that just to like bump yeah. up the charges. <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. Good point. I really don't know. Um, in terms of that, they, I mean, obviously, if he had a bomb, I feel like they could charge with, like, endangerment of whatever or intent to do bodily harm or something. I don't know. There's a lot there. But so, technically, the only thing they really could charge him on is, like, this Hobbs Act thing. And I didn't want to do a too deep dive into the okay. legal minutia of everything because it's a lot. Um, but I think the best way to kind of go about this is to just go into some theories There's a lot, like I said, I took some of the more convincing ones that I enjoyed or thought were interesting. Um, So yeah, there were some just like random ideas as to like what it could be. So there had been quite a few plane hijackings actually in recent times. I guess like people realized, oh, you could like use a plane as a weapon and you could do these things. Um, And most of them were politically charged. So this was like when the whole embargo with Cuba was going on and that sort of thing. So a lot of people, they were saying like young radicals would like hijack planes and be like, take me to Cuba hmm. or whatever. And that kept happening. Okay. Um, so they thought, okay, maybe he was some sort of fugitive or something and he needed to get off the grid, which is fair. Like yeah. I think $200,000 in the seventies, that's a good chunk of change. Like yeah. you could do a lot with that. Um, so I'm going to start with this one because I think it's kind of a shorter one. I didn't do a whole deep dive into this, um, but Barb Dayton was a human who confessed to the hijacking, which I love that a woman confessed. <laughs> um, something interesting See, that's about... that's why she had this interesting deep voice. She was trying to... <laughs> well, so that's what I'm going to say, though. Okay. So something interesting about Barb is she actually is the first person to receive gender affirming surgery in Washington. Oh really? Yeah. And so maybe she had been or yeah, had been practicing Yeah. And a so different voice. Well, and so she is a trans woman. Yeah. So she had had a deeper voice in the past. Maybe okay. this was before HRT was a thing she could access. Okay. And also it is important to note like she was a a merchant marine and a vet. And so she did have parachuting experience from that service um but as far as i could tell other than her confession not a ton of evidence okay but i just thought that was interesting because it's pride month and trans women's involved and (laughs) that made me happy awesome so you're welcome happy pride friends (laughs) so we'll get into more of the like famous ones i think most people know a lot of these names if you kind of know a little bit about the case so the first one is richard floyd mccoy which quite the name. I'm going to call him McCoy from now on. So he apparently seven months after D.B. Cooper skyjacked another 727 plane. Hmm. And he had served in Vietnam and was an expert parachutist. And his actual like heist was pretty much the same as D.B. Cooper. He requested the same number of parachutes. He also passed notes to the flight attendants and he used the rear staircase to escape. However, he was caught. Hmm. Um, the thing is, is that none of the witnesses identified him as being the hijacker. Okay. And he did not match the description or the, um, I guess, drawings, according to the FBI. So he was ruled out. Okay. Um, and a couple, like, one thing that maybe like, circumstantial evidence that could show maybe why it was him is that he went to Brigham Young University in Utah and he or I guess both hijackings occurred while he was on break from school 
Oh, okay. So people so were like... Timeline-wise, it could work out. Timeline-wise, it could work. The thing is, is that the only the only thing really I saw that is like, oh, timeline doesn't work, is that for D.B. Cooper, he was in Utah for Thanksgiving the next day. But again, Utah and Oregon aren't that far. Like, you could probably drive there in 10 hours. Oh, so. we've totally driven there. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, but, but I guess, you know, my thought goes to... But, yeah, probably anybody that goes to school was on break around that same time yeah and wasn't wasn't db cooper a little older anyways wasn't so that was a thing too so they said you know obviously db cooper was supposed to be in his like mid 40s yeah that's what i was thinking okay but then it's hard because if he was wearing makeup and he had dyed hair maybe there was stuff but as far as i could tell no one said that he had dyed hair or anything like that and i did see a picture of him he doesn't really look like the sketch but if the sketch is wrong this is this is the thing this is the hard thing with this case one of the sketches just like generic white guy like yeah i mean it would be hard i mean if there's not like features that stand out mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to exactly or like no tattoos no yeah. moles like nothing yeah so the next kind of big one was Dwayne Weber and his was kind of a deathbed confession and they believe he looked a lot like the second sketch which i call the Cary Grant sketch Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll post pictures of the sketch so you all understand what I'm talking about. I love old Hollywood, and that is just how I equate my life to things sometimes. But see, that makes me wonder, too, because a lot of people, you know, when you think about some, how somebody looks, you're like, well, he's kind of got a nose like this person, or he's kind of got eyes like that, yeah. because that's how we, like, make sense of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, memory is a weird, tricky thing. So, yeah, I yeah. wonder if people are like, well, it's kind of like this or like that. You know, and so the artists will do it that way. But, yeah, there could be things that are slightly off because maybe it's not, you know, quite Cary Grant nose or eyes or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, But people just associate things that are familiar. Exactly. And so Dwayne Weber, he apparently was a salesman, but he also lived a double life as a small-time criminal. I think they estimated he had been arrested about 16 times. His was also a deathbed confession. I don't know why everyone's up with these deathbed confessions, but they yeah. aren't actually the person. This is the thing I don't understand. You know, I love a deathbed confession if it's real. Yeah. I always think that's fascinating about, like, like I feel like the Irish what's men, going on in your psyche that you, one. you know, you want to do this. But, yeah, when it's fake, is it just, I want infamy? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and, again, not it's not something, good, like, a good deed that you should be proud of. So, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. to confess to something that's considered bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, that would be considered bad, but, you know, I guess if you want to be seen as clever or yeah, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, and that's the thing, because he does have the criminal background, and he fits the description of the hijacker. Okay. But outside of that, there really was no evidence tying him to the hijacking, and a lot of people don't believe it's him at all. Um, and he has also been ruled out by the FBI, okay. which is why I'm like, well, I don't know, dude. Um, but again... Just interesting. Deathbed confession. People are strange. But then that's why I'm like, well, maybe he was an accomplice. Like, maybe he's not the one that jumped out of the plane. But, again, it's all a crazy web of crazy. Um, So the next one is Kenneth Christensen. And he is an interesting one. So his brother believed it could have been him after seeing Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, really? And the interesting thing with Kenneth Christensen is that on his deathbed, he said something along the lines of, like, I did something bad, but I can't tell you what. Hmm. And his brother, seeing Unsolved Mysteries and seeing the mystery and everything, was kind of like, 
yeah, he kind of fits the description of who this DB Cooper Did he have knowledge about planes and all that? Yes. Oh, okay. So he was a paratrooper and worked for the airline. Oh, he did? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, he could be a disgruntled employee. And he would, I feel like if you work for the airline, you probably have some knowledge of the airline routes. You yeah. have ideas of things that could happen. And or you could, yeah, easily access that information probably, even if that's not part of your own training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, Florence, the flight attendant, did say that he looked one of, he was one of the closest kind of physical appearances of the guy that she thought she saw. Hmm. Um, and I believe this is true, but I don't think, oh, wait, no, never mind. But the FBI actually ruled him out because he did not look like the description. Hmm. But then it's hard because if the description was off or if he was wearing makeup or if the or drawing he has hair was dyed wrong. Or, yeah. And, like, I don't know. Huh. Were any of these people that, you know, and I know you're not done with the suspect list or whatever, but were any of these people, like, suddenly went missing after this event and, like, retired or just, like, went somewhere else or moved or? Um... Not as far as I could tell. Like, okay. there was no obvious thing. But the thing is, is that the FBI had the serial numbers. So people were looking for the serial numbers. So oh, the he probably couldn't. Yeah. I think I think if I were D.B. Cooper and I knew the FBI knew what the serial numbers were on the money, yeah. I wouldn't use it for, like, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, or you'd use it, like, at flea markets or something. Where, yeah. Yeah. Where no one's looking. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the But, thing. yeah, I mean, you would think if you had all that money, you know, you would, like, quit your job or move or do something where, you know, some of these suspects, if they suddenly quit their job or move somewhere else or yeah, you would think that could be a telling kind of a thing. Yes. I have an interesting guy okay. that's coming up. Okay. And we'll see some things. But, yeah, I agree. There wasn't a lot of, like, change in behavior yeah. as far as I can tell. But then again, if you have a sudden change in behavior, that makes you more suspicious. Yeah, so maybe it's smart to just do your normal things. Yeah. So, I watched a documentary about D.B. Cooper, and a lot of people are actually thinking it could actually be a Canadian suspect. Okay. However, there's not a lot of clues. It's just speculation. So, in French Canada, France, Belgium, those type of places, there are these comics called the Dan Cooper Comics. Oh. And, obviously... I don't think choosing this name is a coincidence. So right there we can think that D.B. Cooper speaks French. (laughs) Okay. Um, In my opinion. And apparently in Canada there was a lot of just like in general like political unrest. And so the comics were like really popular because it was like a character spy type of guy who jumped out of planes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so... People think something, the, the theory is, is they don't know who it is, but they think it could have been someone in the uh, Canadian Air Force, because at the time there was lower enrollment, which meant less funding, and like 500 employees were laid off. And um, there were some similarities, actually, between the comics and the heist. So in the comics, he does rob, or like, hold up a 727. The character dresses similarly to the way that D.B. Cooper was dressed. Hmm. And he also escapes the plane in the same way, like, through the back stairwell. Okay. And apparently, days after, the Canadian Air Force kind of nudged the FBI and was like, we think he's one of our own. He was like, the way he did this, this is how we train our guys. Like, it had to be one of our own. Hmm. Um, 
And it is interesting because um, looking at the Thai evidence, the the trainer planes that the Canadian Air Force used also used like that pure titanium. So that would huh. make sense why that could be on a tie. Okay. Um, and I feel like a lot of people think that the governments just weren't willing to cooperate. And that's why Canada hasn't been explored that much. Okay. Um, because really there is like some things that tie, I mean, these comics are interesting. So even if the guy's not Canadian, maybe he's from like, Boston or something. I mean, I met so many people in Boston whose parents studied in Montreal or whatever just because that's what yeah. you do on the East Coast. Well, so. and, you know, I mean, Washington or Oregon border, all that, that's not far from Canada. I mean, it's easy to yeah. skirt across the border. Well, French Canada's the other side, though. Well, I know, but just to skirt across the border and then you take the train to the other side or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, it does seem like if he was escaping back to Canada, you know, it'd be yeah, easy. doing this in Washington would be a good place to do it. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing, too, because border control wasn't as harsh. Yeah, it was so. not at all. And that was, like, the last kind of piece of evidence was the interesting thing was he wanted American currency and small bills, which would make it easy to exchange if you're a Canadian. Mm-hmm. Because you could be like, oh, I have a 20 here, I have a 20 there. And if the governments weren't cooperating, maybe yeah. they didn't have serial numbers. Yeah. And that's why he got away with it. So... Again, there's no clear suspect. It's just interesting. Well, you know, and the other thing about that is, like, when you, you know, I mean, back in the day when you would go to shops and stuff, people never even checked the money. You know, now, you know, you pay anything bigger than 20, people hold it up to the light and do all the things. And mm-hmm. sometimes they even do that with 20s th- these days. Yeah. You know, but back well, then. Well, when I worked at the movie theater, because we never got anything over 20s normally, and yeah. we had to use a money pen. Like, we would just, like, Yeah, everything. but, you know, back then, nobody looked at your money. You handed them money, yeah. they didn't think about it, you know, so even if he just bought his groceries or his normal shopping kind of stuff mm-hmm. with 20s, nobody was going to look at that, you yeah, know? that's true. So. Yeah. So now we're going to get into kind of a very meaty suspect case sort of situation. Okay. And before I say this, I am going to make it clear. I watched the D.B. Cooper Where Are You documentary on Netflix, and this is where a lot of this information comes from. I know there are some problems with this theory. We're going to get into it. Okay. So the story starts in Vegas. There was a guy named Ron Carlson who went on camera saying that he knew who D.B. Cooper was. And um, Tom Colbert is kind of like a cold case investigator. And so he was like, I'm going to go interview this guy. Okay. So apparently Carlson was a drug runner in the 70s. And he met someone named Dick Briggs, who was allegedly D.B. Cooper. Okay. In 1978. And uh, Briggs was his cocaine supplier. Okay. Briggs told Carlson that... In three days, a family in Oregon was going to find some of the money. And this was nine years after the case. Okay. Right? And this happened. Okay. So he said a family in Oregon's going to find this money? Yeah. He basically was like, they were in a small town in Oregon, and he said, oh, someone's going to find some of my money on the bank of this river. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this happened. So the Ingram family found about $6,000 that matched the serial numbers of the money. Okay. From the heist. Wow. And right before this, um, actually at that same location, there was a 727 rear door that was found and believed to belong to the plane. And this was, like, along the bank of, like, a river. Okay. Um, and so... Wait, and this was found how long after the... Nine years. Wow. So, and this guy is, like, literally saying, like, three days before 
the money was found, like, oh, yeah, some people are going to find my money. Oh, and he actually, so the guy said it in the interview, Carlson, he was like, no, this guy, like, pointed at this family in the corner and said, they're going to find my money. So he put it somewhere where, where those like, people. Like, so he intended for them to find it. Yeah. And so Carlson huh. was like, I saw the news report of the people finding the money, and that's how I knew that this was D.B. Cooper. Huh. I wonder why he wanted them to be the ones to find the money, or why he wanted anybody to find the money. I mean, small family finding 6000 bucks that's great, but if they don't keep it, you know, that's, you know, or well, they that's report was, it. Well, and, but that's what I wanted to say is, like, is he... Yeah, is he trying to throw people off by being like, oh, well, he wouldn't have left the money behind? Or is he trying to be a good Samaritan? Or, like, I think, what is his intention? I think maybe the throwing him off is, like, maybe he wanted people to think he was dead. Yeah. That's kind of my theory, because if you just find money on a beach, like, you can assume, okay, if you found the door of the plane, the plane crashed, like... Well, and that's the other thing. Was the door of the plane, like, did he plant that there nine years later? Like, why hadn't people found it before that? I think it was in the water. Like, someone found the door in the water. So how did he know they were going to find it then? I don't know. I think he followed, like, this is my theory. Maybe he followed them and just put it on the beach real quick and ran away. I. That's what I'm saying. Like, he would just plant the stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, but it goes back to what was his intention. Like, was he wanting to just bring up his case again and be in the news and be talked about like did he like the fame okay i have to get into briggs a little bit okay (laughs) and then we'll we'll um decompress because there's more about this okay this is a big one so apparently briggs said that he served in vietnam he was a skilled parachutist um and i guess he had a short temper according to people like they were kind of like yeah he was like kind of quick to anger or like you know, had a short fuse and was willing to fight and that sort of thing. Um, and apparently he really liked to do parlor tricks, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, there's a story where he took a shot of bourbon and, like, chewed the glass. Huh. Which I'm like, okay, like, I mean, you've seen that in, like, magician shows, like, but I, that, ouch. It doesn't sound like fun. No, it doesn't. I don't even think I'd want to watch somebody do that. Exactly. And so he actually would go to the D.B. Cooper Festival in Oregon and boast about being the Skyjacker. He'd be like, oh, look at him. It's me. It's me. And that's why part of me is like, I don't think it could be. Like, it could be him. Totally. But then on the other hand, it's like, you're bragging. Why are you bragging, bud? Like, <laughs> You know, it's, it's all very weird. So he did do a polygraph with an ex- FBI expert who was someone who was like very renowned in the field. Um... Not Briggs, sorry, Carlson did. And he did not show evidence of lying. Like, the FBI expert was like, he's telling the truth. Whether it is the truth or not, I don't know. But this guy's telling the truth. Yeah, he's saying the truth about what he knows. Yes. And that's good to know, too. And the hard thing is, is that Briggs died in 1980. So they were investigating this case, like, in the mid-2000s when Carlson came forward. So Briggs has been dead a long time. We just don't know. Um... But the FBI kind of was like, there are holes in the story that prove he's not a hijacker, or wouldn't be. And one of them is, is that he never went to Vietnam or parachuted. Like, he bragged about it, but he wasn't mm. able to enlist. So okay. he was just like, oh, I did all these things, but didn't actually do it. Okay. Um, there were differences in his appearance as well. And so... I guess that could say it's not him, but how did he know about the money is my issue. Huh. And I could get, like, maybe he, like, found D.B. Cooper's body and then, like, buried him and wanted to keep the mystery but took the money or something. I mean, there could be something like that. Mm-hmm. 
because if he wants to be able to go to the festival and boast that he's D.B. Cooper... Yeah. Like, he obviously likes the attention. I was going to say, he definitely is attention-seeking, and, and the making up the stories about his history, I mean, that, you know, there are people that do that and want to make themselves grander than what they are. Yeah. Um. You know, so, you know, if he's one of those, but yeah, so that's interesting. So if he had found, you know, the part of the plane, the money, or even the body or something, mm-hmm. and then decided to stage it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay. Huh. With that. Um. At least having the money, if it wasn't him. Yeah. So, Colbert believes that maybe Briggs didn't do it, but Briggs was an accomplice. And we're going to get into Colbert's big theory. Okay. Which is a lot. So, there's this guy named Pudgy Hunt. Which is a funny name. Pudgy Hunt. Um, And he was a friend of Briggs and met Robert Rackstraw, who was boasting about being D.B. Cooper. And... 54 people that Rackstraw knew have said, oh, yeah, he's absolutely D.B. Cooper, or he is capable of being D.B. Cooper. Why why do they think that? Just in terms of his experience and that sort of thing. At the time, he looked a lot like the hijacker. Um, And they had a lot of interviews with him because he was, like, kind of in and out of jail for different things, which we'll get into. But, like, they interviewed him in jail. Um, and we're like, were you D.B. Cooper? And he was like, well, I don't know. Maybe it could have been. I don't know. Like, uh, I, it, I'm i not saying it wasn't me. I'm not saying it was me. I'm not like he was just like very avoiding any sort of answer. Um, and he actually is interesting. So he had a military he had military experience. So he was a replacement pilot during Vietnam and he went on missions that were super dangerous. And like he seemed to be thrill seeking like He would go on missions where there's, like, 10% chance of success, and he'd be like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going, you know? Um, And during the time, like, while he was in the war, he was actually disciplined for domestic violence, and they had found that he had falsified some of his military records, and so then he was dishonorably discharged. Um, And he (laughs) angrily wrote a letter to the military, like, you know, don't make an enemy of him. Like, I'm dangerous. I'm going to do something. Um, so then, kind of just in general, aside from the military experience, he does have parachuting experience. He has a criminal background, as I kind of mentioned, and he has used fake identities. So he does seem like someone who's a little sketch. Okay. Even if he's not the hijacker, he's just a little sketchy. Um, and so in August of 1977, he was actually the prime suspect in the murder of his stepfather. Um, oh. His stepfather had figured out that he had been fraudulently, like, charging clients in their shared business and, like, found receipts of this. And the stepfather went missing, and Rakshra was like, oh, he went on vacation to Hawaii. Huh. Okay. But the stepfather's remains were found on his property, and there was a gunshot wound to the back of the head. On his, the father's property or his property? The father's property. Huh. But... The crazy thing was, was that he was acquitted of all charges, despite him being sketchy. I guess there just wasn't enough evidence. And the crazy who, thing... Who knew about, you know, because the father, like, confronted him about things, but who else knew about that? It seems like everybody. Like, because okay. I think the dad or stepfather was like, I'm going to go, like, report, um, I'm going to report you yeah. to the IRS or who, because it was, like, fraudulent money. Yeah. So he was going to report him. And the crazy thing is, is, like, during... 
the trial, he would, like, fake Vietnam injuries and, like, sit in court in a wheelchair, and he would, like, pretend that he was, like, a disabled veteran and was not capable. Wow. Which is, like, I mean, I guess he wants the sympathy card from the jury, but you would think that, like, people would see through that? You would think, well, and, it, you know, then it questions, is he actually delusional, or is he just trying to play up whatever he thinks people will have empathy for, you know, which it, it like does seem strategic. He's very yeah. manipulative is the best way to put it. Well, and it, yeah, it definitely has the feeling of like, you know, delusions of grandeur, like wanting to embellish all his accomplishments or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, but then play the, you know, the invalid yeah. or, you know, whatever when, when it would suit him. Yeah. And I think during, like, while they were kind of tracking him down or whatever and arresting him, like, he had, like, stolen a plane and, like, done all sorts of crazy things. And so, mm-hmm. like, he was convicted of writing fraudulent checks, explosive charges, and aircraft theft. Okay. Um, and after serving his time, he never got in trouble again. Okay. Is a thing to note. Um, well, gosh, I mean, but you'd probably want to keep your nose clean if you, you know, knew that you were being looked at for murder because, you know, again, mm-hmm. evidence could come up anywhere. I would want to stay off the radar. Yeah. And one thing I will say is that Rackstraw, you know, during the D.B. Cooper heist, like, he was younger. He was, like, I want to say 29. But the thing is, again, like, in his picture, he kind of... I feel like some people have younger faces, some people have older faces. So you just never know. And I feel like in his face, he looked a little more weathered. And if he's a war vet, you're going to be a bit more weathered. Um, And so his ex-wife actually gave some interesting info, which was that he would always carry a briefcase when he traveled. And there was one time she opened it, and there was a toupee and a fake mustache inside. Hmm. And she was like, why is he wearing disguises? Which, again, I will say Rackstraw was kind of balding by the end of his life. So, you know, maybe the toupee, and he's hijacking a plane, and people wouldn't remember a guy with normal hair, you know? Must be a good toupee, though. I feel like normally you could tell if it's fake hair. Especially back then. Like, toupees <laughs> nowadays are great. Like, you can't even tell, but yeah. back then you could. That's true. Um, And so I guess my question is, is, like, if he was a clear suspect, why was the case dropped? So, according to some, um, while he was in Vietnam, he grew close with a CIA, CIA agent and maintained the connection. He would even sometimes claim that he was in the CIA. Hmm. Um. He claimed lots of things. (laughs) Yeah. But the agency could not confirm or deny the claims. He did say that he flew for Iran-Contra. And when the CIA was asked about this, they said, we cannot confirm, which is basically code for yes. Because if they say we cannot confirm or deny, that's no. And if they say we cannot confirm, that's a yes. Doesn't mean anything, though. Hmm. Um, However, the thing is, is, like, the FBI can't find cigarette butts to test the DNA. So... Even with that, we don't know. And this guy, like I said, he just doesn't give clear but answers. But the cigarette butts were missing from the evidence. From, from the evidence. Okay. Which, again, mm-hmm. could show an inside job or he had someone on the inside that was like, oh, yeah, we'll take care of that. And it doesn't just have to be for Rackstraw. It could be for whoever D.B. Cooper was. Mm-hmm. Someone took the cigarettes. They're gone. Um, but here, So here are reasons that he might not have been D.B. Cooper. Okay. So, Cooper was reported to have brown eyes. Rockstraw did not. They said they were more hazel. Again, hazel, like, if they were, like, blue, I think that's different. Hazel in certain lights could look more brown or whatever. I don't know, but that's just my opinion. Okay. <laughs> or contacts. Lots of people have color contacts. I don't know about the 70s, but, yeah, you know. Um, 
The hijacker was also, like I said, identified to be 45. Rockstraw was 29. And so people are like, he's too young. But again, age is so subjective. Like, some people look like they're 30 and they're like 50. So Yeah, I'm really bad at guessing people's ages. So, <laughs> I like, just don't if, try, yeah. If I ever witnessed a crime, people say, how old was the person? I'd be like, I don't know, somewhere between like, you know, 21 and 50. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm so bad at it. <laughs> exactly. And so... The other piece of evidence is that Tina, the flight attendant, did not recognize him as the hijacker. Um, but again, like, uh, FBI guy kind of talked on this. He's like, eyewitnesses generally aren't very accurate. Yeah, he was right. like, a lot of times they're about 50% accurate. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, and I know that's true, you know, and um, it's interesting because the other people on the plane are probably not accurate because they just weren't paying attention to him. Yeah. You know, but the flight attendant, you know, could not be accurate because her anxiety was so high or fear or, you know, whatever. And I do yeah. think sometimes our memory gets distorted when we're in like a heightened state. Mm-hmm. So I think both ways, you know, it could be unreliable. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's the thing. So people in the CIA have two kind of sides. They're like, he was too forthcoming with information to have been a part of the CIA in terms of his interviews. They were like, he, if he was CIA, he would know what to say to avoid answering any questions. Mm -hmm. And so one person who worked for the CIA was like, he talked more like a military man. But then she also was like the disguise expert, I guess, for the CIA. And she was like, yeah, but like, you're also taught like to disguise yourselves and like wear makeup and dye your hair and stuff. And so she was like, when I read the description of what he was looking like and what he was wearing, that sounded like something I would have put one of my guys in. So she does think maybe there is some CIA affiliation okay. or something in there. Um, and then there was a guy, like I mentioned the letter earlier, mm-hmm. and there was a code in the letter that was basically like, I am not db cooper or there was something in there there was like a code that they had to say and this guy who served in the military with rackstraw cracked the code um and it seemed to fit and he was kind of using this like numerology system where like if you took the letters and you like rearranged them they would be different things Mm -hmm. and he figured that out because i guess there was a match for like their unit at in vietnam there was like a match in the code or something Hmm. um and so... But the message was, I am not D.B. Cooper? So, that... It, it was like he used one f- phrase or sentence or something, and then when you switch the letters around, it's like a different sentence. Okay. Is kind of how that goes. Okay. And I guess Rackstraw's name fit if you did, like, I'm Lieutenant Robert J. Rackstraw or whatever. Oh, okay. So, the letters of the actual name, if you mix them up, it would be... Yeah. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Whatever the sentence he used was in that thing. But the FBI is kind of like, okay, well, using numerology, like, okay, so Rackstraw is, like, using his name as 130, and it matches this, which is 130, but SpongeBob SquarePants is also 130, so that doesn't mean anything. And I do think numerology is kind of a weird thing. Uh But then this guy was, like, a code cracker for the military. Yeah. So I'm like, (laughs) you know. He He probably, that was his forte. I'm like, if... If, yeah, like I said, maybe he's fishing a bit because he w- knew Rackstraw was a suspect. But, like, yeah, if Rackstraw was D.B. Cooper and you f- things fit and you actually got a cohesive cipher, something's there. Yeah. Whether or not it's real, you're kind of on the right track, in my yeah. opinion. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. The FBI has ruled Rackstraw out, though. So that is a thing. Um, 
But something I want to say is Rackstraw loved the attention of whether or not he was D.B. Cooper because he would say all sorts of things like, were you D.B. Cooper? And he would respond with like, I could have been. Huh. Um, And Rackstraw did pass away, so we will never get a clear answer. Um, But he... No deathbed confession for him. No deathbed confession for him, unfortunately. Um, But Colbert is still really adamant that he is the only true suspect in the case. He's like, there's something here. I don't know. Hmm. Um, But I do think that could be part of the detriment on Colbert's side because, like, I think he kind of tunnel visioned. So any other evidence pointing to another suspect, he was like, well, that's not possible because da 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 Yeah. So he kind of had his blinders on with that, which is hard. Yeah. Um, a good thing with Colbert's tenacity, though, was he actually did a freedom of information lawsuit against the FBI, and that made it so that the FBI released the entire case file for D.B. Cooper. So now they have an 80,000-page oh, file. Gosh. Who's going to read that? They are. <laughs> They're going through it. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot. Um, but, you know, I do think that's really cool that, like, yeah. Anyone can access the case file now, and they could do some of the sleuthing. Um, obviously, based on the case, he would be at least 90 now. I mean, if he was, like, 40 and it's been 50 years, like, yeah, he'd be 90. Um, someone kind of joked on the documentary. They were like, he smoked a lot of cigarettes on the plane. Like, he's probably dead. And that made me laugh. <laughs> but, um, well, there's part of me that's a little like, like, if he's gotten away with it this long. Yeah. Like, okay, he won. <laughs> Just, I mean, it's been. I mean, I, I'm curious yeah. to know who he is, but like, I wouldn't want to put a 90 year old man in jail for this. Like, you know, I, I feel like it was like a fun little game, and he won, and he didn't hurt anybody. And you yeah, know, that's the thing. Like, there were no real like. I mean, yes, like people probably have some trauma after knowing, like, I was on a plane with a bomb, and da da da. But, but it like, seems like a lot of them were probably like it's like a bragging rights thing. But yeah, like um, I was gonna say, the guy, the one guy that was on the documentary, he like goes to the DB Cooper Festival every year and yeah. like will talk. So obviously, he's not too traumatized by it. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. He just seems like a, you know, he was smart enough to get away with it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I wouldn't want to put a 90 year old in jail. Yeah. The last like mini theory, obviously, is that Cooper did not survive. Mm-hmm. Um, as I had kind of mentioned earlier, he jumped carrying two parachutes, but one was a training chute that would not have worked. Yeah. Um, and the military one that he jumped out with couldn't be steered. Um, and in a thunderstorm, that's super dangerous. It's dangerous. Well, to- I feel, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> even if you could steer it in a thunderstorm, yeah, that would yeah. be hard to, even if you could steer. Yeah. I don't think the wind would allow you to steer too much. Yeah. Well, and the, the, um, like, people on the plane were like, yeah, there was no visibility of the ground. Like, the storm was so awful, it would have been bad. And the way he was dressed, like, didn't indicate he was as experienced as people think. Like, wearing an overcoat and loafers to parachute. And, like, the, he, he took the briefcase with him, too. So that's, like, what's all weird is, like, maybe he had, like, another outfit on underneath and he was able to, like, stuff things and tie yeah. things and jump, but... The way he was dressed, at least the last time people had eyes on him, he was not dressed in a way that would be, like, normal to parachute. Well, you know, when you're a snappy dresser, you're not going to necessarily give that up for practicality. No, (laughs) No, I mean, I I understand. (laughs) No, I totally would have been in sneakers, you know, whatever, but... Yeah. Okay, so of the theories, like, which is your favorite? Which do you think is the most likely? Um... I'm kind of leaning towards this Canadian theory. Hmm. Um, I think if the government wasn't totally, like, cooperating with 
the Canadian government yeah. and obviously these comics. Like, I think yeah, that's I was gonna really say, I just kind of like the idea of a hijacker, you know, um, <laughs> mirroring himself after a comic. I think that's adorable. I think it's cute. <laughs> so. I think it's fun. I love it. Um, but, you know, I do think Rackstraw is an interesting guy. Like, yeah. there's obviously something there, but I think... You know, there is evidence that he, it maybe wasn't him, and maybe he just liked the attention and is good at keeping suspicion. Because yeah, he never. He clearly liked the attention. Because that's the thing. Like, I feel like in all the interviews, he never said, no, I'm not. Because, like, even, like, you know, 50 years later, when, like, people would try to interview him, he'd be like, He'd be like, well, Colbert has this idea that I did this, and I don't know why he has this idea. He's been harassing me, but he never outwardly says, I am not D.B. Cooper. But I feel like most people that are innocent would, that would be the first thing they'd say, was like, I did not do this. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to be a part of this conversation. Yeah. You know, but he, yeah, he did seem, which makes me think it's not him, though, because, you know, he's attention-seeking, and it would be easy to be like... Oh, yeah. maybe, maybe not, if you know that there's not going to be evidence to link you because Absolutely. you didn't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he seemed like an attention-seeking guy for sure. Yeah. So, like I said, it's kind of hard to tell which way is which, but hmm. um, I, I'm i kind of liking the Canadian theory. Yeah, even if I think it's, it's cute. <laughs> even if it, you know, is a different suspect and they're not Canadian, but they know the comics, I think that's an interesting angle I had never heard before. No. So, Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just like the idea of it being after a comic. I think that's cute. Yeah. So I like that one. But, yeah, I, I still feel strongly, though, that if they caught him now, I would really be interested to know, and I'd want to know all the details and where he did, where he went and how yeah. he spent the money and, you know, what he did in the year. You know, because $200,000 doesn't last forever. Yeah. So what did he do, you know, for the rest of his life? I'd be interested, but I yeah. wouldn't want him to serve time. See, what I'm hoping is someone cleans out their Pop Pop's attic and finds a diary. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. Confession in a diary in the dark, dingy attic. Exactly. I because I don't I don't think he's gonna if he hasn't come forward by now. Like I don't think he is. And I mean, obviously, like they said, dozens of people confessed to be DB Cooper, and none of them were. Yeah. So that's what's interesting too. Is like, okay, you're getting these like people claiming, but who is the real guy? It's yeah. just it's all so wild. It, and like I said, these are like this is the tip of the iceberg in terms of the cases. I could have gone so much deeper on each of them. I yeah. just kind of wanted to give a broad overview, hmm. which isn't that broad. It's been over an hour. So, but I do think it's interesting how many people want to confess to something they didn't do. So again, like wanting to be famous or I think wanting so. to get credit for being. The only person that got away with something like this or, you know, that's an interesting phenomenon, though, that people want to confess to something they didn't do. Yeah. Hmm. I, I think it's for the fame. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long that prison sentence would be, but I mean, it's not as long as murder. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, thank you for sharing the story. You're welcome. I that was a lot. I hope y'all enjoyed and it kind of gave you some ideas to think about if you guys have ideas as to who db cooper is i'd love to hear your theories or any of that just be nice understand i did one day of research not 10 years like some people (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah anything you want to add any just want to say i appreciate you well i appreciate you and make sure to check out our socials at what the ale pod or email us at what the ale pod at gmail.com with any suggestions feedback, nice stories, anything like that. Um, But yeah, thanks so much, friends. Talk to you next time. Bye.